Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning hour. We acknowledge our emptiness as human beings. We acknowledge our lack of physical, of physical strength, our lack of spiritual strength. But we know that you have all power in heaven and earth that you bring to bear, that you can fill us with the power of your spirit, that you can be here in our midst, that you can lead and direct the words that are spoken, the thoughts of the hearts, and that you can fellowship with us, your creation. And we pray that you would come now and do this in this day, that you would move in our midst, that you would instruct us in our lives and in our beings, and that you would help our lives to live out your glory in this world. All these things we thank thee for and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was at an academic conference this past week, and uh, they reviewed uh, one of my drafts of one of my papers, and also there were some some other general exhortations given to those of us uh, rookies trying to do academic research about the importance of of uh, backing up your, taking your data that you have, and, but weaving this into a strong and concise story. And I realized that uh, one of the challenges I have is uh, sticking, sticking with a, uh, a single narrative or a single story. And so I was, uh, I was thinking about this as I was uh, looking at the sermon today, and I tried to keep myself from, from uh, deviating from uh, the central theme of what I thought God was speaking to me. Of course, in Bible class, we, co we covered a lot of those themes, so, uh, so I'm not quite here if, sure if I'm uh, supposed to stick with this or if I'm supposed to go off message, but I pray that the Holy Spirit will, will lead. I'm going to start in uh, Genesis 15, going to go back to Abraham. I've been again reading with the first verse. I should say, correct myself, it's Abram, of course. His name is not, God has not changed his name yet. But I'm glad that the Apostle Paul called him Abraham also. But anyway, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy, exceed, thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham, Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, 
Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if, th if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Going to skip to Romans 4. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. So I think if we look at uh, the scripture in Genesis or we look at its, the Apostle Paul's quote of it in Romans 4.3, that Abraham believed God and was counted unto him for righteousness. Again, as we talked in, in Bible class today, I think we have a a difficult time accepting that, this scripture, in our lives. Especially if we've grown up in the church, we know that Jesus wants us to live godly lives. We know that throughout the Bible that God has instructed us that we are to be holy as he is holy. And we believe that somehow we must, we know that somehow we must achieve that righteousness. If we look at this verse, when it says that Abraham believed God, if we go back to the, the Greek word, um, it implies to have faith in, upon, or with respect to a person or a thing, especially to entrust one's spiritual well-being to Christ, to commit to trust, to put trust in. If we look at the Amplified, 
often it takes the word believe and it tries to emphasize that it's not really a, a I don't know, it's not really divorced from action. Um, John 6, 28, 29. Then said they, these are people that came seeking after Jesus after he had fed the 5,000, and then he had taken the boat across the Lake of Galilee to get away from him. The next day they came running around the lake, and they found him again. And this is what they asked him. They said, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him who, whom he has sent. Here the Amplified expands on belief and it says, That you cleave to, trust, rely in, and have faith in his messenger. So again, the word believe indicates a very active, uh, active belief something that's going to lead to action. But sometimes we, we struggle with this. We start focusing on the actions of belief instead of the act of believing. Going back to Romans 4.3 again, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Interestingly enough, uh, the root word of the Greek word there comes from logos, which we know, of course, as word. In the beginning was the logos, in the beginning was, was the word of God. Also can, be, also can mean thought or speech. But when used in this context, it's thinking in the sense of taking an inventory, counting. I'm counting out an inventory. And when we count an inventory, we don't usually just count, count for the fun of it. We usually count to see what is the true number, or we count as part of an audit um, to try to reconcile the books with the actual physical count that we have in a warehouse or in our inventory. And if we look at the meaning of the, from the, the Greek word here of the count, the way it's used, there comes, it's not just to take the inventory, but it's to reach a conclusion. It's to reckon, to reconcile any discrepancies, to impute the correct, the correct number. So if we think about this, we think that it says that Abraham believed God, he trusted in God, and God counted, God reconciled the difference between Abraham's faith with what he needed to be righteous. Again, the verse ends, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Righteousness, of course, is the character or quality of being right or being just. 
As believers, again, we often think of God's holiness, God's rightness, And yet, again, when the people came to Jesus and they asked him, what should we do that we might work the works of God? Perhaps they were thinking of the miracles. What, what can we do to work miracles like you work? Or perhaps they were sincere and they were thinking that in order to, you know, in order to be right with God, we have to work the correct works of the law. We have to be able to perfectly follow the law. But as believers, we know that this can be a hindrance, a hindrance to our faith, a hindrance to our belief. We go to Titus 3.3 3 through 3.7. It says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. This was the former state. This is the state that most of us recognize, the sin state that we're in. And as humans, I think we tend to ask ourselves, well, how can I get from this sin state to to a good state? How can I get from the sin state to righteousness? How can I get from sin to holiness? And a lot of times, we as humans, our first, our first attempt is to think about, I'm going to start a self-improvement program, right? Just got still January here. You know, I'm going to set up some new resolutions. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to uh, work harder. I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to put more effort in. Uh, the Apostle Paul continues in Titus, though. He says, But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, after Jesus came, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, according to God's mercy through Jesus, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Again, our self-improvement programs are worthless to God, are doubling down as to this time I'm going to get it right. This time I'm going to be stronger. This time I'm going to be perfect. Titus, he continues on with verse 6, which he shed on us abundantly. He's talking about, back about the, uh, his grace, his washing, his regeneration and renewing through the Holy Ghost. If we come to Jesus in faith, God promises that the Holy Ghost is going to come to wash and renew us and create a regeneration in us, a new person. He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, 
which being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Through his grace, we are saved, and not of works, lest any man should boast, as the Apostle Paul also said in Ephesians 2. Now, on the other hand, I don't want to totally downplay the need for holiness, for righteousness, even for works. In Titus, verse 8, he continues, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will, that thou, const- that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto all men. But we have to be very careful to separate our faith, in a sense. We, we have to be careful not to think, not to put the cart before the horse, so to speak, and think that the works are what we should focus on. We need to focus on the faith, on the belief. That is what needs to be there in order to drive the works in order to drive the righteousness that God wants to see. And yet, when we fall short, we see that God promises to, to, to take our, our lack of perfectness, our lack of holiness, our lack of righteousness, and he's going to reconcile the inventory He's going to make us right with him. Jesus has become our righteousness. God sees us through Jesus' righteousness, not through our own righteousness. So what hinders us from this belief? What hinders us from achieving this state where we have believed God and God has counted it for righteousness for us, for us personally. From a Bible class lesson today, we have the eunuch from Ethiopia who read the scriptures but didn't understand it. Jesus also mentions in the parable of the sower, those that understand or that do not understand, understand the word. And we know as we as believers, that we as believers, that it's important for us to be willing to share the word to help those that lack understanding in the word. Or it could be perhaps that they some people have not heard at all, have not heard about Jesus. If we look at the, the Philippian jailer, as far as we know, he had not heard about Jesus until there was an earthquake and Paul and Silas were loosed from their bonds. And then the first thing he did was, in spite of the fact that we don't know of any previous spiritual 
commitment on his part, especially not that of a Christian believer, his first words were, what must I do to be saved? And again, the Apostle Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and, that shall, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Again, the first step is belief. The first step is not works. The first step is not get tough, change your life, do it yourself. The first step is to give up. Give up your pride. Give up the way you used to think about the world, the way you used to view everything in life. It's not like you think at all. Even the Apostle Paul, who was trained in the scriptures from his youth on up, educated in the scriptures, what held him back? What kept him from belief? On the road to Damascus, he met Jesus. And suddenly, in a moment, in that flash of light, he recognized that Jesus was real. He recognized that he needed to believe on Jesus. He recognized that all of his preconceived ideas, all of his training, all of his worldview was completely wrong. That in spite of his great learning, in spite of his great intellect, he knew nothing. So a lot of times, perhaps, the root that keeps us from belief is simply pride. James 4, 6, James says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Again, recognize God's grace. Be humble. Recognize God's grace. Submit yourselves to God. Believe. And then he will give you the power to resist, and the devil will flee. Perhaps you say, well, I'm not really sure that, you know, that I'm proud. We have lots of ways that we hide our pride.
You know, I'm big on procrastination myself. It's uh, kind of a way, you know, to keep from, uh, or staying busy. A lot of times uh, in the 21st century, we like to, uh, our, we have pride in being busy, pride in, in uh, you know, oh, I'm sorry I was late here. I'm sorry this isn't, isn't quite right. I could have done it better if I wasn't so busy, right? So if we always stay completely busy, then we have an excuse for every, every, uh, everything we come short on, right? The servant who hid his talent told the master he did that because he, he feared the master. Sometimes when we step toward God, when we want to believe, we're afraid. We're afraid of we're afraid of the changes that God might want to make in our lives. Or maybe, maybe we're afraid of God's power and of his expectations for us. And maybe we salve our soul by procrastinating a little. You know, we want to draw out, uh, draw out this uh, opportunity for salvation. I know I used to uh, go and uh, counsel when I was a young man with our elder, and I used to always like to engage him in questions about the, uh, the Apocrypha and uh, things like that. And he kept gently reminding me that, uh, you know, Rod, that's really not what's important here, right? What's important is your faith in Christ, and if you believe in him, if you trust in him, and you give your life to him, you're not going to be, you can go worry about the apocrypha for later, right? But that is not what's central here to salvation. That's not what's central to what you really need to be doing. But in some ways, you know, I could salve my soul. I could say, well, you know, I'm, I'm making progress. I'm on this path towards salvation. And yet there's this certain, again, perhaps a certain pride or a certain something holding, holding me back that um, I'm not... I'm not making spiritual progress because I haven't committed to, number one, the belief. I haven't committed totally to belief. I'm still holding back. I'm not willing to believe 100%. I'm not willing to trust. I want to be able to control of the process. If we want to give our lives to Jesus, we can't be in control of the process. If we want to live for Jesus, we can't be in control of the process. He has to be in control. And that's what true belief is, is when God's in control, and we've given up control of our lives, and God has taken over our lives. And we can procrastinate as long as we want. We can hold back. And we can continue to try to do good works. We can continue to try to implement a new improvement, self-improvement plan. But that's not going to get us to God. 
And if we're believers, that's not going to help us advance spiritually. It all comes back to that simple trust in God and the, the willingness to, quote, make mistakes, unquote. Right? If we're really living in God's spirit, you know, we have to be 100% dedicated to trusting him. And then, if we believe, he's going to count it to us for righteousness as he did Abraham. Many years ago, someone wrote this hymn. The Savior is calling you to his fold. Oh, will you his call obey? Come trust in his marvelous grace untold. Let go and let God have his way. Let Jesus come into your troubled heart. Come yield to him while you may. The joy of salvation he will impart. Let go and let God have his way. He's waiting and longing to save your soul. Why linger another day? Oh, trust him this moment and be made whole. Let go and let God have his way. Surrender your life to his tender call. O yield to him now, we pray. Can follow him daily, whatever befall. Let go and let God have his way. Let go and let God have his wonderful way. Let go and let God have his way. Your burden will vanish. Your night turn to day. Let go and let God have his way. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, I pray that today that you remember that all God asks for you is to trust in him. God asks for you to trust, to let go of your preconceived notions, to let go of the things you're holding on to, and trust him for salvation or trust him for the next step in your life. That's all he's asking you. And then he will count it for righteousness. Then he will save you, your soul. Then he will grant you mercy and grace and grant you a beautiful life in this world and a beautiful life in the world to come. May God bless his word. Could we turn to him 47? Hymn 47 and sing verses 1, 1, 2, and 5. 1, 2, and 5 of hymn 47.
Father in heaven, we count it a true privilege to be able to be in thy house in this day, Lord, to feel the fellowship as we gather together with loved ones here, Lord, and then to be taught of thy word, Lord. From the, from the moments we arrive and can sing praises to thy honor and thy glory, Lord, we felt thy presence and we are so thankful for it. We pray that you'd be with those who could not be with us, be with those who have be with Uncle Roger, who's in a hospital bed and not able to be with us, Aunt Hilda at home, and Aunt Lainey the same. Lord, pray that their spirits could be encouraged uh, as they would minister with Thee in their quiet places in this day. Father, pray that our lives could be, uh, could be motivi- motivated by the words that we've shared in, in this day. Father, that our lives would be witnesses of Thee, that our lives would be true transparent witnesses of the faith that we have that we have embraced that we have been given as a product of our salvation and the result of our surrender to thee lord uh, a result of thy empowering work in our lives and then father even as we've heard in this morning hour to surrender all lord to to surrender every aspect of our lives to thee and to the regenerating power of thy spirit in our lives Lord, to to make us able witnesses, to make us fruitful tools in your hand, and to, most importantly, be your hands and feet to the world around us. Lord, there, as we've sung, there are dangers at every turn, but as we also shared this morning, Father, we should be those beacons of light in the world around us. We should be the Phillips of this world, going to places we would never expect, to people that we wouldn't anticipate, Lord, and being ready always to give a hopeful word of the, of the truth that has transformed our lives and of the love that a father has for all those that would surrender their lives to him. Lord, pray that you'd continue with us on this day. Pray that you'd be with our loved ones who are traveling, those that will be returning home and those that will be traveling back to their homes. Lord, pray that you'd protect them upon the way. Lord, pray that you'd be with us as we would partake of food and drink. Pray that your uh, blessing would be upon it and the hands prepared it. Be with the many, many, Lord, who don't have it as good as we do and make us compassionate and understanding and motivated to meet their needs as well. And Father, as we continue on with, with one another and with thee in this day, we'll look forward to thy blessings and thank thee for it in Jesus' name. Amen.